it's a very quickly changing landscape because even in parallel with all that, other courts are saying, no, actually, this, this isn't something that applies to websites or applies to only narrow circumstances. Hey, I'm Blake, and this is the Content Plus Commerce Podcast, presented by Engine Ecommerce, the only podcast for people building successful online stores. From agency life to being a lone freelancer, we'll be bringing you weekly content full of best practices and in-the-trenches advice. Hey, Content Plus Commerce listeners. Today, we've got Scott Buchanan with Ripen here with us, and we're going to spend some time talking about e-commerce web accessibility. How are you, go- how are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing great. How about you? Really good. Really good. Just kind of getting back in the groove after uh, starting the new year and catching up on email and all of that that entails. (laughs) So before we dive into the meat of our topic, let's learn a little bit about Ripen and the rest of that agency, Scott. So give me some backstory on how Ripen was started, what you guys do, um, and then we can go from there. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Ripen's been around for um, over a decade. Uh, We were started by... um, uh, Michael Tudor, who was, uh, you know, originally started as a web developer himself, um, working for another agency, and uh, in working with that agency, uh, kind of felt the need to move toward a model that we could form, he could form long-term partnerships with clients rather than kind of quick hit projects. And so I think over the 10 years or so that, or over 10 years, maybe 15 years now that the agency's been around, that's really been the focus, is uh, partnering with brands um, for, you know, long-term growth, so we sometimes bring them on board uh, when they're first starting out um, with e-commerce um, and then uh, really partner with them for the long term to help them grow from there. Yeah, more about building the relationship rather than like a fire and forget project. Right. Fantastic. Okay, so tell me a little bit too about your like platforms of choice, your go-to tools and, and maybe why or how you pick those for your clients. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I mean, the platforms that we use uh, traditionally was the main platform was Magento. Um, and it's still a really big part of the, what we do um, here. Uh, but as Magento 2 has come out, um, it's a lot more complicated and a lot more expensive uh, for total cost of ownership um, for clients to use. It's still definitely the right choice for clients that have really complex requirements, a lot of custom uh, functionality that they need, especially in the back end. Um, but we're seeing more and more clients moving toward uh, lighter weight SaaS style platforms, um, where the two that we've used the most um, are Shopify and BigCommerce. Um, with both of those, uh, you have you know some limitations. It's kind of the walled garden approach, um, similar to uh, you know kind of Apple's model with with you know, mobile apps. Uh, but uh, so you have some so you have some walls around you, um, but that wall also can help protect you as well from getting into trouble both on the cost of maintenance side, um, as well as kind of getting it over your head with um, work that really isn't necessarily beneficial for your brand. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's the, uh, the, the beneficial handcuff strategy kind of like where right. you're, the client is not going to be able to completely destroy their store, but they may not be able to get as creative as they may be used to on a different platform. Right. And on the front end, you can really do anything that you want um, on Shopify, um, especially if you move toward more of a headless approach though, that then introduces further maintenance costs. So you kind of rewind some of the benefit there as well. Um, but certainly the, the stability, um, not that it's perfect, it's still, you know, it's still software. Um, even Shopify and BigCommerce have their downtime moments, but it's definitely uh, a whole lot easier for the merchant um, to maintain on the back end than something like Magento. Um, but again, Magento is really important as well when, you're, uh, when you do have really complex requirements 
Um, both big commerce and Shopify are making a pitch these days toward um, B2B. Um, and especially big commerce, I see some really great steps there. And I know Shopify is making recent acquisition in that direction. But just current state of the market right now, um, Magento really is the clear leader um, if you're trying to do something B2B. Yeah, that's it's always been fascinating to me that uh, some of the bigger players haven't really beefed up their their B two B feature sets uh, in quite some time. But like you were saying, that that uh, the app purchased by Shopify uh, here in the past couple of months, I think, is pointing towards them doing something about that. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I see. I think both Shopify and BigCommerce, like I said, are making really big strides that direction. Um, but right now, uh, it is very. Uh, much uh, something that you need that customizability, both Magento with their off-the-shelf B2B suite um, that you have in the commerce product, um, but then also just a, a, a wide variety of um, third-party tools for the open source platform, um, giving you B2B functionality that just right now isn't possible on those other uh, SaaS platforms. Yeah, completely. So last question before we dig into our main topic today, what's your favorite, uh, like our agency got to be the hero story? Sure. Um, so I'm not sure what my overall favorite was, but one that comes to mind recently, um, especially in the very, if you take the word hero sense literally, um, we got contacted by a client that uh, was, uh, just had a runaway success on their Shopify store, um, selling a customized uh, necklace um, right before the holidays here. And uh, because it was customized, people would upload these photos and they would, uh, uh, you know, that would then get printed on the necklace as part of the, the product. Um, but uh, they were handling all of those orders manually still on the Shopify backend. And uh, it's the kind of thing that long-term, um, in which we are working on this with them to develop more of a robust uh, tool around this with an admin UI and such. But they need something absolutely, like within a few days turnaround to just be able to automate some of that processing with images. So that was a really cool chance to dive in and build something really fast. Um, in this case, you know, I'm director of engineering, most of what my team does is coding um, and development, software architecture, all of that. In this case, we found the right tool for the job was just set up an automation in Integromat. Um, it was a little more complicated than just plugging some, you know, uh, uh, pieces together like you might have like a Zapier. Um, but still, uh, super streamlined, super fast, and we were able to get something in place um, between literally the Friday before Black Friday and that Monday before Black Friday, so that it was in place um, for the holiday rush. That's awesome. It's it's always kind of it's really cool when you can come in and champion somebody uh, right before they hit a big inflection point in sales as well. To be able to kind of point to your tool and be like, "Hey, that's the reason why things weren't as bad this year." Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and I, I just yeah, they were they were already getting inundated with orders before Black Friday, and it only went up um, then you know, through every Monday, and then all the way through the end of December. Um, so that was. You know, our ability to bring that in was, I think, a really important part of their holiday season. Yeah, that is fantastic. So uh, now let's dive into ecom web accessibility. And yeah. now for the next several minutes, I want to give you your your soapbox and <laughs> All right, back sure. and forth and and talk about things people miss or why people are so wrong for not taking ecom web accessibility uh, like into into account. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that web accessibility is something that has two prongs to it. Um, one of those prongs is the ethical side. And that side has been around all along, that if you're trying to build an inclusive marketplace that, that is non-discriminatory, you want to make it available to it as broad of an audience as possible. And you don't want to let you know, characteristics of who people are stand in the way of them being able to 
either use your content or buy your um, services. But on the other hand, the other prong to this is the fact that uh, there has, you know, given a number of recent court decisions, there has been a absolutely massive rise in uh, court cases or at least threatened court cases um, around this um, that is uh, you know, posing a, a big financial threat to a lot of companies that are not in compliance. So you kind of have this two-sided uh, situation. You have an ethical obligation um, as well as now a really business risk um, financial um, uh, or risk if you don't, if you don't uh, resolve accessibility issues. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to me that there uh, the two sides of it. I think almost appeal to the two different client mindsets about it. On mm -hmm. on one hand, you can appeal to the like the human and, and ethical side of a of a client's objection on here's why you should um, go ahead and proceed with making your site as accessible as possible to a diverse set of individuals. And on the other hand, you can also appeal to their pocketbook and say, Hey, if you don't do this, there is a very high risk of, um, like legal pursuit and lawsuits against your brand. Exactly. Right. And, uh, I mean, the, the landscape is constantly evolving. I mean, even literally just the past October, um, there's a big, you know, bit of news here in that the, Supreme Court refused to hear um, an appeal to them um, on, you know, to what degree the ADA actually requires websites to be accessible. Um, the Ninth, Ninth Circuit, a year previous, back in, I think, 2018, um, had uh, ruled that, uh, you know, in, in the line with a number of other court judgments, but had ruled um, that the ADA did apply to websites, um, but it was appealed and then you know, it was not, not heard by the Supreme Court. So, it's a very quickly changing landscape um, because even in, even in parallel with all that, other courts are saying that um, no, actually this uh, uh, this isn't something that applies to websites or applies only in narrow circumstances. So there's a lot of question marks around it, but um, if you want to be safe as a business, it's something you need to take seriously. Yeah, and it's like not only is it the the right thing to do, but very very soon it may be the legal thing that you have to do. Right, right, and it may already be depending on which legal. Document. Right. Yes. Completely. So one thing I would love to talk about is uh, let's talk about maybe like table stakes for accessibility. So like mm -hmm. ground floor level, if right. you're not doing this, you are heinously wrong. Right. Yeah. So um, one common misconception I find people have about accessibility is kind of goes back to an old version of what accessibility meant. Um, and that was basically you have to have alt tags um, for your images. Um, and uh, I mean, <laughs> some people, well, that's literally all accessibility means is you have to have alt tags. <laughs> and while, while that's true, you, you should have alternate text for your images. Um, accessibility is a lot bigger than that. Um, and I think it, it helps to approach it from a mindset of almost usability um, and, and, and thinking through your site on different axes and, and different ways that people may approach it. So obviously, people who are sight impaired is, is um, one major area that a lot of people are familiar with, but accessibility goes a lot beyond that. So not just supporting screen readers, but also, for example, on a mobile device, making sure that your buttons are big enough that someone with a mobility impairment can be able to tap those buttons easily enough. Um, um, and like color blindness, for example, is something that many people would be familiar with. You know, you don't want to make use color combinations that would be not visible uh, to somebody who is colorblind. Um, but then there are other things like somebody who maybe uh, have just reduced acuity in their vision 
Um, and so it's not a matter of colors per se, but you need sufficient contrast um, between those colors um, as well. So uh, uh, there are some great tools out there that can kind of give you some automated scan results. Those, those don't tell you your full situation on accessibility, um, but they can certainly uh, really help with some of that low hanging fruit that can be detected automatically. Yeah, and I'll plug the uh, A11Y project here as well, that they have a fantastic checklist on their site, um, that it's not completely comprehensive, but if you start to run through it and think of it in terms of like, what are some small steps I could take today or this week or this quarter to improving the accessibility of my site, over time, you can really start to make your site much, much more accessibility friendly. And the, yeah. the other thing I think a lot of people also leave out is, uh, is hearing impaired and captions on video and ensuring sure. that right. you're taking that into account. Yeah, and that's, and that's actually a really, really challenging thing too on the video side because uh, I, I honestly don't even know how they've gotten away with it this long, but um, there are some pretty significant accessibility issues um, with your major uh, video platforms, YouTube, Vimeo. Mm -hmm. So if you are embedding videos using the standard embeds from those platforms, um, they can literally hold you back just by intrinsically by using that um, from kind of the full uh, WCAG standards or kind of industry standards for accessibility. Um, and so there are some ways around that, but that is, that is probably one of the raw, rawest areas um, that still needs treatment um, uh, just as a whole industry, how to figure out how to make videos fully accessible. Sure, sure. And I think another thing to take into account here since uh, probably half of our listener base is uh, developers and people that work at agencies mm -hmm. is taking into account some of your, your style sheet choices or some of your markup choices as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like ensuring that you don't have any like invisible elements or things like that, where someone with a screen reader may get stuck in an area or somebody with a, like an alternate communication device who's navigating with their eyes uh, right. may not be able to select or tap something because the, the focus is on something that has a strange Z axis. Right. And this is one of those things where, I mean, I come from the old school of web development that was uh, the old Seeds of Zen Garden and, and uh, you know, making uh, sites with purely semantic HTML that then is styled entirely with CSS. And the situation technology have evolved since then, but um, just using semantic HTML um, is a huge part of accessibility. Um, you can layer on accessible features to uh, kind of web components and some other things using ARIA tags, um, but to the maximum degree that you can just use plain HTML5 uh, uh, semantic elements, you get a huge amount of accessibility just coming right along with that. So uh, wherever possible, you want to do that. Yeah, completely. And then I, I think diving even more into like content of your site as well is, like keeping your like your copy like plain and straightforward and mm -hmm. like easy right. to understand. There's so much that goes into ensuring that your site uh, can be accessible that uh, surprise can also help conversion over time. Right. That's the thing is that almost not literally everything, but a huge amount of things that you'll do for accessibility um, that you're you're doing them for someone who's visually impaired or motor impaired or something like that um, um, as you know, who, who live in that, in that capacity most of the time is helpful to everybody else who's not in that capacity most of the time um, because, you know, I mentioned the button size, for example. Um, maybe, maybe you're on a train. Well, that button size may be a lot more useful to somebody who normally has full motor capacity, um, but now, you know, the train bumping around, and 
uh, everybody gains um, when you implement a lot of these accessibility improvements. Right. Yeah. It's you're, you're only doing something that's going to help your site overall. You're not, you're not damaging your brand. You're not going to end up harming your conversion rate. If you go about this the right way, you're simply enabling your site to reach a wider market than you were before. Right. Exactly. Um, one thing, one thing that's important to realize is that, uh, you know, some people in the accessibility community have pointed out that, uh, anybody who is abled is in some sense only temporarily abled, um, to varying degrees. We will probably all at different points in our life go through points that are less accessible. So it's not like it's this us versus them situation where there's us who are fully abled and those people else who are um, disabled or impaired in some way that um, at various points back and forth, when we will all be dealing with these things. And so the more we can make things just generally usable and then accessible, uh, the, the two support and intertwine with each other. Right. Yeah. That's, I, I think it's a wonderful way of, of looking at it that takes into account kind of human empathy and doesn't just kind of turn this into a, a line item on a budget. Right. Right. Perfect. Well, this episode has been fantastic, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time to record this with me and kind of educate our listener base about, about this important topic. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe. Also, if you'd like to talk to Engine about our agency partner program, then visit enginecommerce.com slash agency.